0: Hey guys you're listening to She's Obsessed the podcast and I'm your host Jamelia Donaldson also known as Jamelia is obsessed across socials. This week's episode is a throwback I'm throwing it back to November 2019 at the home of TT fourth birthday pop-up shop which took place in Hoxton, London. We had our press morning on Friday and this panel also took place that same day, and it was called the Beauty Opportunity, with my special guests including Lulu Pierre of Boho Locks, Andy Iim, product expert and creator of Angel Investing School, and Sharmadine Reed, the founder of War Nails and Now Beauty Stack. Um, You're going to have to excuse the background noise a little bit because it was a live panel, but the gems that they dropped were simply too good not to share. I even recently had someone reach out and ask me to share this episode because they wanted to take notes. So that's how you know it was good. (laughs) But in all seriousness, we discussed creating businesses out of the things you're passionate about, whether or not you need to be the first user of your product, The value of your lived experience and never underestimating this. The importance of visual role models. The need to remain patient in your journey as a creative and honour your craft. The power of the pre sale to manage cash flow when starting a business. How to dominate the US market, even if by accident. And whether or not we should bootstrap versus raise capital. The one-liners, the takeaways are absolutely endless, so that list could have gone on, but I'm going to jump right into this episode and I hope you find it useful. Good morning, kids! uh, Welcome
1: to our home, welcome to the home of TT. Um, introduction, my name is Candice, and I am the PR and Brand functions Officer at Chest. just for some context. Um, four symbolises growth, community, and bringing a tribe together. So for our fourth birthday, we thought of no better way than to actually bring the Chest experience from online to offline. Mm-hmm. This is a conceptual experience of what we go through every month to ensure that our subscribers get the best possible products in their boxes. So what we do, you guys will be doing today. Um, As well, Treasure is passionate about building community, finding synergy between lots of different types of Black women, and I think this room really healthily represents that. Um, The panel is filled with expertise, so please make sure you've got your phones, notepads, keep your brains locked in, Um, and also, before we even get into anything, can we just give a huge round of applause to Jamilia? It has been essentially five years since the idea came into her brain and just to see this moment and it's just the beginning, so
2: um, from us already, congratulations and um, enjoy the panel if you have any questions, the girls in
1: pink, got your back, <laughs> um, but yeah and thank you guys so much for coming as well, I'll be sitting in and listening as well, but um, thank you all for coming, I hope you enjoyed breakfast and yeah, welcome to the hundred fifty.
0: Woo! so much Can, um, and I definitely just echo what Can said as far as welcoming you guys to our home. The purpose and the
1: reason why we decided to create a home this year is because we need everyone to feel at home, part of the community, part of the family, so this kind of just brings it to life. <laughs> and I'm really, really excited to um, tap into the brains of the expertise on this panel. So we've got experts from beauty, investment, tech, literally everywhere. And I've got some pre-written questions, but I definitely want to make sure that we've got time at the end to take some questions from the audience. Um, so I'm going to start by asking you all to introduce yourselves and tell me who you are, what problem you solve, and what you thought you would be doing as a child by this age. Okay, cool. Okay, hello everybody. I'm Lulu. I'm the founder of a brand called Boho Lots, which specialises in Crochet lock and um, We have a wide range of colours, from like natural black, this kind of blondeish kind of colour. We've got purple. We've got wide range. Um, we primarily sell our markets in the USA. Our warehousing is there, um, and we've been trading for two and a half maybe three years now. Um, when I was a child, I would have thought at this age, hmm, let's see. Now. Living in a mansion. <laughs> Probably famous or something. I don't know. I don't like you are. <laughs> um, I don't know. Just I, I, yeah, yeah, just like a singer or something. I don't I really don't know. Um, the problem our product solved um was just I used to do the crochet locks. I used to do faux locks in my house people used to come into my home and I did their locks and I loved doing it. Um the issue was it took a long time, so it would take about the first client I ever did took 12 hours. Yes. Um, them and they were really, really long because she had to do individuals and then yes. wrap them yes. around yes. and, yes. and I I'm going to do this again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, was, I did that probably for like six months full time um, and I developed my own sort of way of doing it. So I managed to get like fully booked out for the period and then I was like, but there's no more hours in the day. I can't do any more than what I'm doing and I have a young child as well. So I thought, well I want to develop a crochet lock which kinda of captures the essence of like what I was doing. And so that's when I started to develop boho locks. And when we first started, I made them at home with my parents and so we just literally you know, we've got videos like literally it started off being like one weekend and then it'll take a week. And then it'll take a week and a half and my dad was like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's when we um, found a contract manufacturers to make the product and um, so yeah, that's where we're at now. Amazing, Andy, the only guy on the family. Yeah, I still feel at
2: home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so primarily, I'm a, I'm a father and, and a partner to an amazing child, and, and partner is going to be here uh, in, a, in a couple of hours. Um, but I'm also a patient, creative, and, and in my day job, I help invest in diverse founders, so people of colour, women, LGBT founders here and across the world, mainly in the UK. And I guess the, the, the problem that I solve most is democratizing access to the knowledge, opportunities, and capital that exists in this kind of like world of tech and business and really channeling it
1: He's <laughs> um.
2: It's been about 15 years,
1: but. Cool, thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Okay, so the first thing that I wanted to touch on so the panel, just so you know, is divided into three segments. We're going to touch on beauty, we're going to touch on capital, and we're going to touch on tech. Okay, so when we talk about beauty, something that I've found most enjoyable about Treasure Tress got to create a business based on what i personally wanted like everything that i do for treasure trust is kind of self-serving because i'm obsessed with hair products hence every month we create products for um different boxes for of hair products i'm obsessed with friendship sisterhood and community and we get to create spaces like this so a lot of what i create through treasure trust or what we create through treasure trust is what we as women need um, Lulu, I know you can speak to this quite thoroughly because you said that you're the number one consumer of home locks. Mm-hmm. How have you found building a business out of your own personal needs and desires? Yeah, well, that was the main catalyst for when I started the brand. it was that sort of frustration where I wanted the lot to look like my my mum has a lock, both my sisters do, and I uh, I really loved the look, but I didn't I wasn't ready to commit yet, but I also didn't want to spend eight hours doing it. So. Um, it's been and, and i suppose that when i developed the the product i lo- i just loved it i was like wow this looks good it took two hours it's fantastic great um and it just so happened that you know as i would go out with the hair people would stop and ask and then it just became i would serve other people so then they would come to my house and i would just put them in their hair as well and then from there it kind of um developed i started to ask people well, what colors what colors would i like to see and what colors would other people like to see so i kind of like Got a lot of feedback from my early groups like, <coughs> of customers I've kept in touch with like every person ever and just kind of just like what do you want to see? What kind of colours? And how are you having those conversations? Email. Oh okay. through email. Yeah. Um, um and yeah I just feel like I've kind of built the, the, the brand and the products with our customers. But yeah building a, a product around things that you love is I just think it's just it's perfect because you're so passionate about what it is that you do. Every day you go Excited about the challenges that lay ahead. Mm-hmm. And Char, how about you? Because I know that you work um, with a team of mainly men due to the field building, although you do employ a lot of women. So yeah. I know you did like to say that. But at least your co founders are male, right? Yeah. Okay, so what's that been like for you? Because obviously you have to convince them of the problems that women face. Do you feel like it's quite natural to you? It's really easy? Do you find it sometimes hard to communicate? What's your experience like building beauty stats? problem that you acknowledge and you realise but with may who may not have experience with the same problem? I think it's amazing if you're like customer number one, the way I call it, like you're customer number one in your own product Uh, but sometimes it's really easy to uh, forget that as you develop you're no longer customer number one right so for example, when we first built the website, when we first started working on media stack, my hypothesis was that um, when I was twenty-four years old and I started War, we I basically built our website on Tumblr, which is how we got so famous. Because if I built our website on Wix or GoDaddy, we wouldn't have had the back end of literally millions of people blogging our images. So I was like, right, but you know, like to read I don't put food on the table, I'm gonna build Tumblr for beauty, but you can book a picture and make money off it. But I forgot that I'm like 24 year olds today don't use Tumblr. So as much as it's important to be the first user of your product, you should always, you know, as you said, constantly talk to users all the time. So what I did in terms of convincing our engineers, I didn't really need to convince them and to be honest, if you have to work hard to convince someone Idea, they're not right for idea. That's just the fact of it. If, if any man is joining, or woman by the way, because there are many women who say, Oh, I don't get beauty treatments, and then when you talk to them a bit, they get their eyebrows done and they get this and that. <laughs> Who essentially have lived the experience and have built businesses based on their personal experiences? One of the hardest things about being on the panel is when you feel like you want to
2: interrupt everyone and just to their points as they're talking. At all, at all. So, firstly, <laughs> okay. But it's lazy for me not to ask my sister, my wife, my my female friends. Shah it's lazy for me not to ask them when they're WhatsApping me. So that that conviction and that not willingness to go and do that work means that I'm not really trying to invest in that, in, in this founder. It means I'm not really interested. I'm just making an excuse. Okay. But the other thing that's lazy behaviour and bad behaviour is that often we say some stuff things like, "Well, oh, that market isn't big enough." But on the other hand, we're saying, actually, we're looking for really ambitious founders. But the most ambitious founders in the history have outgrown their markets and grown into other markets. Airbnb was renting rooms and then it's going into experiences. Amazon started as a bookshop, it went into space, and AWS, and then it went into Echo, physical goods in your home. They're unrelated markets, but the most ambitious founders outgrow. Even now, we're all using WhatsApp and Instagram, that's owned by Facebook. That's not organic, but it's still growth into other markets. And we need to look at these patterns and say to ourselves, are we just like the subject of groupthink here? Because everyone else is reading the same blogs and articles and saying the same things and reading the same books. Or actually, do we have originality in how we think? And are we okay with swimming in a blue ocean that's not shark infested, even if it's a bit counterculture? And I love when I see founders that willingness to swim and swim away from what other people are saying. You know, so even like in our early catch ups uh, with Jamelia, I found it fascinating that. She built it black... I was speaking to someone actually earlier today, I'm not going to name them because they're in the room. <laughs> um, and he said, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, the person said that um, when they first saw Jamedia on Instagram, um, I know it sounds basic, but it was amazing that I saw this young black lady with an office. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not minor. That's important. Okay. I've seen someone that owns a business and it feels like it's real now because she's got an office and she's got staff. And these things that we think are so small actually are relative and very important because they heighten aspirations. Because when you see someone that looks like you're doing things like this, then it makes you feel like, actually, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you need that, but it's a good reminder, especially when in the media we're getting reminded almost the opposite of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like I listen to drill, like I listen to grind music, but they don't talk about the fact that I do. They talk about the fact that if you do, there's a correlation with stabbing. Mm-hmm. That's correlation true. And we need to start thinking about how we think and spend more time about thinking about like whether the way that we're thinking is original or actually just a subject of groupthink. And as an investor, I always try and step away from groupthink and actually think about how can I really add value beyond the money to this situation and this relationship. Because I want a long-term relationship with this family and the startup. I want it to succeed for the long term, even if it turns into a family business or a legacy business and it doesn't get exit or get an IPO. And I think we'll be aligned in incentives in that way. It makes for like really, really trusted relationships. I don't know if I fully answer your question but
1: I want to interrupt you as well with what you said about markets, right? Um, About not looking into markets or the markets not big enough and ambitious founders. One of the books that I read, which really changed my thinking on this, is a book called Play Bigger. Mm -hmm. And it's about creating categories. So rather than entering a category, how you create an entire new market or define your own market, I highly recommend this book um, because it really, really switched my mindset around, but again, just to go back to like, you know, people of colour, we set trends. That's another thing that I say, right, if this market doesn't exist, don't worry, I'll make it. <laughs> if you don't think this is a trend, like, you know, when I, when I um, opened the nail salon, like, no one was getting, hand-painted nails. It was always airbrushed or just flip designs. And I remember everyone came in and wanted long square nails because I know it's hard to remember, but 10 years ago, that was the look.
0: Last on <laughs> 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 just to take back the
1: mic, <laughs> experience with um, any founders that have lived the experience of their products or service, so much so that they're like super stubborn, they won't take any feedback, and you can see them just running
2: themselves ideas and one of the downfalls i see in a lot of the first-time farmers that I speak to is they can't they can't abstract themselves from their idea they're so in love with it they're almost like sometimes ignoring what they're hearing from customers or feedback that they're receiving when they don't realize that they're building this company actually to serve if you're in service then you need to listen to the customers that you're serving because they're the ones that are going to be using they're the ones going to be paying the revenue and that's where the growth is going to come from so like it's really healthy and a good cadence to get into is in developing hypotheses and you want to prove or disprove. And you're not incentivized on whether it gets proved or disproved. You're like a scientific researcher, and you just want to find out actually if I'm taking a step in the right direction or not. And the real trick is, can I do that in a cost-effective way? You know, can I do that really quickly and cheaply so I can learn early and often from my customers who will lead me to water, who will lead me to where I need to be? And it's very hard sometimes for first-time founders to get into that frame of thinking because they've got an idea that they're so in love with, and they go and register a domain, then get a logo done, then they get some developer in Estonia to build some stuff for them, rather than go on this patient journey of creating, of just learning the craft and honouring the craft. And I think we need to get back to honouring our craft, even if that means learning, and learning is not a bad thing, especially being a continuous learner. Because as a founder, you're going to need to be. Yeah,
1: I think Lulu you've done that really well as far as making the locks in house before outsourcing. Can you speak us through your journey of outsourcing the lots and like how you manage that whole process? So um I was working with um I was buying the locks um sort of like wholesale um in, in China but I think what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to just like buy some locks and then and just repackage them and sell them on. So I really wanted to develop something that didn't exist. So um what 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 really happened was we, we were making them at home and then we were shipping them from here, I was going to the post office, I was like bags and bags of crisps. I remember those. Names. <laughs> <Same>.
0: They, I <like>, put <laughs> like,
1: like, my eyes down and I walked to not get it. I, like, yes, like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yes. There's more in the car. I'll the <laughs> uh, they, they were like, oh, that's alright, one hour. It's an hour delay. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, and it just became apparent because we were sending so much product to America. Probably ninety percent of what we were shipping was going there. So, it kind of made sense to look for a local service that would service that market. So, um, once I kind of got the design um, of the locks down, I had a manufacturing contract with the supplier who I've met. I've been to China probably about six or seven times now, and we have a really good relationship. And so, they um, make the product and package it, and then it goes directly to America. Where it's connected to our website and it just gets automatically shipped out when somebody places an order. Um, that process was was necessary for my particular business because where our most of our customers are located. Um, but obviously, there was challenges along the way. So you have to make sure, obviously, like in your warehousing, there's like quality control. So you have to have like sometimes external people come in check the product what goes in there. And then obviously you have to make sure all your insurance is in place. Because you know you're shipping a large amount of cargo into mm-hmm. And um, but it has been really effective for us. Um, but it is something you're to manage every stage, where you just get your protections in at every stage. Was the US being your biggest market intentional, or did it just happen? Because I remember the first time I got an international order for treasure trust I thought, Oh my god, how the hell did this happen? This wasn't my plan. Yes. And now we send it to 26 countries because we had to learn how to adapt really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So was it your intention to sell internationally with the US being your biggest market or was it just where your consumers showed up and you just followed the yeah, Yeah, it's really interesting how it happened actually. So I was obviously doing the lots at home, so it was like more of a UK thing initially. And then what happened was, I um, this week I'm just going to figure out if I find that if I do. Our customer retention rate is high because I just stay in communication with my customers, um, and now we've just got more customers that look alike to mm. our initial group. Perfect. <laughs> really, one word answers for these guys. How can you stay in
2: contact with your customers? Email? Email. Andy, how do you advise? I use WhatsApp for Business, but I'm, really, I'm doing something for WhatsApp for
1: Business? <laughs> 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 Yes. To I literally talk on every channel. Someone Instagrams me, tweets me. Not me, just the business. I uh-huh. respond. We use Intercom actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um Intercom is quite good if you have an e-commerce business. And he's reminded me I said e-commerce.
0: Intercom for e commerce
1: businesses. Intercom for e-commerce businesses. Wonderful. Um again, short and snappy answers. Literally, your experience, yeah, bootstrap or raise capital? Bootstrap at first, okay. Until you've got proof of concept, Andy, I know mean, you've got a lot of thoughts on this, so we'll come to you last. <laughs> <laughs> I <done> <laughs> One all right, two minutes, Andy.
2: And and I'm oh, sorry, sorry, it depends on what type of business you're building, but not all businesses require venture capital. There's a range of different funding options. How do you know if your business requires venture
1: capital or not?
2: You may not know how to start. I disagree. You may not
1: know how to start. Why do you disagree? <laughs> Basically, the rule for venture capital is are you gonna build this business where you can return a fund like within the 10 years? i.e., are you ready for a crazy relentless journey of sleepless nights where you scale in a compressed amount of time? So the, the the way you have to define your level of success, right? So if you want like a really healthy business that's gonna earn you like you know, 100k profit a year, and you're good with that, then don't get VC funding. But if you want to build like year one, 10k, year two, 100k, year three, like 10 million, right? Like that's venture capital, that. And for me, I just think another thing, uh, you know, that I, I hear a lot in the girls that I work with that black women do, we very much use our own money. And it's like another, like, Financial burden, labour, whatever you want to call it, right? When actually there are all these dudes get using other people's money for bullshit. Mm. So I'm like, I'll do that. a <laughs> <That's laughs> good idea. So I, I would never bootstrap a business again. I bootstrapped one like mm. too long. I should have raised money like within the first. It was popping from day one. One well, literally was popping from day one. I should have raised money within six months of it popping. Um, Know, but I was like, no, oh, I want it, you know, keep it all 100% myself. It's better to earn 10% of a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And I've this you know, yeah, you know, know. yeah, I've been telling you this, and I stick by it. Yeah. I just would say that don't feel that you have to bear all this responsibility by yourself because with the money also comes expertise, doors opening, mm-hmm. your investors. The thing about moving with rich people, yeah, is once oh, you're in well, there. <laughs> I suppose I see it slightly different, so there's one brand here that's called Shea Moisture, mm-hmm. and raised- So you're looking long term that's how I that's how I see it. This is also true. Semi true. <laughs> <laughs> much equity as possible. I can't stress this enough. Um, But I think that there is definitely a mentality of like, oh, I'll just pay for this. I'll pay for
2: that. But but there's also the opposite mentality of like, I've got an idea and I'm going to fundraise. And then what they end up doing is spending all of their time on pitches and fundraising and not on products and um, their customers and getting the traction that you even need to
1: should focus on the product and that's where I thought you were going to go with your answer but you didn't. So would you mind yeah. speaking on
2: it quickly? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's basically that concept of like, actually, what I should be focusing on first is proving that I've got a problem worth solving. Okay? And I validate that from getting evidence and, and feedback from customers. Okay? And depending on what type of product it is, it could be from usage, if it's a social network, or it could be through revenue or something like Trevor Trez. Because that's validating and proving that I've got something, a problem worth solving. And I know Actually, the most cost effective marketing is one of recommendation. And when someone just
1: Interestingly, I'm sort of like exploring that now. I suppose I, mean, I hadn't previously, but now
2: sort of seeing. Yeah, I think it's where the boundaries are of what you define as tech. Mm-hmm. Because if you say to yourself, "If I take away technology, can I still serve my customers?" You know, in terms of like being tech-enabled, mm-hmm. the answer probably be no. Yeah. You know, like oh, let's take away whatever socials. Let's take away. Mm-hmm. to industries that we enter or spaces
1: Mm. that we enter and i think char you were very humble in your entrance into the tech world so would you mind sharing us? was talking about um using visual recognition for emotional sentiment and I just listened to that and then you know I'd be the only like black girl in the room so I didn't really network I didn't use it for networking at all. I think that's a big difference right people go to events and think it's about networking sometimes you just have to be quiet and listen like uh, because it's not your world yet. Um and then the more I went to these events the more I thought <laughs> but it took time because the way I organise information in my mind, they would I would like take that emotional sentiment. send You emails where we haven't even built the email, they're being built from so many different components, So the tech is do you get what I, I mean? That is a tech that. that I we do that as well, but not obviously to your same level, I'm sure. But we do like you grow based on behavior.
2: Yeah. Do you, do you create, do you, do you have software engineers in house that create the technology scratch? No, and no. yes, so we <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some more general questions, but I want to throw them out to the audience. Does anyone have any questions whether you're thinking of starting a business, starting a brand, um, starting a beauty um service? Any questions at all? Got, I have a question. I'm not doing any panels for 2020. I mean, no. some people <laughs> said I need a ticket because shaman needs to come in and I absolutely love her. I'm not going to look at the person, but I think that they should ask the question. I think you guys to know now that from January to June, I am not doing any panels, interviews, talks, nothing. So, so now this chance. chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got a question. Hi, my name's Antoinette. I was just Antoinette. Where are you from? Um, so I have a platform called Hair Crush, and um, passionate about providing um black women with tips their natural hair. Um, and I wanted to ask a question about the the ladies that use the professionals that use Instac, have you thought or are you thinking about kind of the things, additional services they might need, like space to kind of, you know, a lot of you know, professionals, beauty professionals, work in their houses, or and and that kind of, are you going into that space around just helping them to, you know, rent space or providing that kind of yeah. service? It's a really good question, and I think <coughs> it's an amazing lesson. Uh, it's a good lesson to share. So space was absolutely critical to work. Obviously we needed a physical space to do the nails. I actually found, while well, my son's dad found the shop. It started with the space and then I thought about exactly the type of people services to put in the space. And what I've learned over the last 10 years is space is so expensive. It's not really cost effective. You're tied into leases <clears> for like <throat> ten years. Um, you know, it, it breaks my heart when I hear girls who have opened salons who have had to close them down two years later because they didn't know about business rates and their profit margin is so slim and slim. So I've I've got an aversion to space, basically an allergic reaction to a lease mm-hmm. uh, is that you, because it, of what? Because just because of what, but also the way I think the industry is going. So I genuinely. Everywhere for well, again, mods starting with startups, right? Um, but co liking for beauty, when War has been successful, is when we had like Bang Rouse on the ground floor and Quiche Braids and all these different people. So when you go in, you've essentially got your whole crew around you doing different things rather than going to a salon where everyone's a down Or Do you get what I'm saying? So it's something that I've definitely thought about because when we do a pop up, our bookings go up because it's like you know, a concentrated uh, space for activity. However, I would not do it the other way around, right? So, we just raised our seed round, and to me, this last year and this next six months are really about building that proprietary technology that I'm talking about, that will power, you know, hopefully, massive, millions of you professionals across the world. When we raise our next round of funding, Series A, I have thought about putting in a provision for co-working for beauty because it probably, if we wanted to do it right, it could probably cost around just under a million a year to get a good space. Um, but I wouldn't do that first. It's not important. So, to anyone here who's thinking about shops like business rates are, cre- especially like with the election going on now, you don't know what the business rates are going to be after the next budget. Like, it it's crazy. Um, so yeah would be think about your scalable I was one of those so I had the same kind of thing you wanna <laughs> <laughs> not the other way around. Yeah. So that's the uh, cycle that you want to get into. But my advice, I—I I avoided. I'm not big on products. I'm obsessed with services. So I'd never make products for ages. By the time we did it, it was like five years after the trend, after the started the trend. Um. Yeah. So that's would be my advice to everyone in the room: product first. Perfect. Um. Who wants to hand up? Oh, yeah. I'm Sasha. Um. I started training with a tech a couple of years ago, but my main job is office manager. How do you keep yourself motivated to do things outside of your main job? Because obviously you need kind of need to live. Um, but what keeps you going when things may not be going right or you have kind of little dips? What keeps me motivated? I get bored massively. So what I do is I have this umbrella vision which is how can I economically empower women around the world and then I whatever I'm doing has to fall under that. So I use beauty staff as essentially a funnel to do whatever kind fun of project I want. So we made a short documentary on beauty professionals, like a one minute film. I was like, I really want to make a film, so I'm going to make it about beauty. So I think that whatever you do, if you have your own personal vision, as long as it falls within, that's okay. But that's how I keep myself motivated, because otherwise I'd be doing fine. would be like, painting. Yeah, no, no, no. I had a similar situation that I was working, I was doing hair, and it kind of like, how did I stay focused on hair? So I think that in the time, in the downtime, I would learn more about marketing. So, more so it's like, if I was working in my day job, I would be like, right, but I'm going to get more knowledge so I can excel at this. So, there's loads, there's loads of things. That's just me personally. So, that was what kept me focused, knowing that I can improve. Maybe I could Thank mm-hmm. like to I wouldn't wanna call them mistakes, but one of the things that you would have done that you wish you would have done with different There's a fear of the salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that mistakes um, in, in other businesses, I've had loads failed <laughs> um, since I was like 22. But I think that um, it's really important to try and, as best as you can, understand your profit for uh, customer. It takes so mm-hmm. much data to get that information. Um, it's about knowing the numbers, it's about knowing your cost of acquisition, your customer lifetime value. You need to know these numbers. So you can then try and extend them. You need to extend that lifetime value. You need to bring your CPAs down kind of thing. So I think a mistake is staying in muddy waters and not just be so focused on your top line. Of course, top line growth is so important. But I think that you need, as a countryman, you need to understand numbers, data. You absolutely have So a mistake I made was staying too muddied for too long not understanding the basic fundamentals of finance, of money. We'll talk more on Sunday on that topic. Um three. Yeah. Final question from you. My question was um around building a team, so you kind of touched on that. Um just wanting to know like at what stage like would be for you, what stage do you feel like okay I need to get people on board and then also getting people on board but then just sort of relying on them as well. Like that process like can you talk to me a bit more about that process of like building a good team. Yeah so when I first got Bohoms I was working alone literally seven days a week, 14, 15 hours a day. And uh, then when I realised that that wasn't sustainable, I thought it was crazy. Um, That's when I started to hire. So I think I I can speak to what Shambhavi was saying. That my first round of hires was just I just wanted cheap and cheerful. I just thought I can do this on a budget. But my advice would be honestly hire the best people that you can afford. Honestly, so I'm going through a round of hiring now, and I'm hiring people who are way more experienced than I am. I'm paying them way. not until Maury introduced us that I realised that you were UK based. So I definitely want to acknowledge you for making ways in the hair